You're listening to the Casting for Fun podcast, the show that talks about entertainment, sports, music, and inspirational stories for all to enjoy. We're glad you could join us today. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Now, here is your host, Albert Pineda. Welcome, everybody, to the Casting for Fun podcast. I am your host, Albert Pineda. And for this week's episode, which is the 40th episode of the podcast, really excited that I've hit episode 40. Uh, I'm going to be joined by returning guest, good friend, Peter Huggy. Very excited that I'm getting to chat with Peter again. It was back in February, I think, for episode six. So when the podcast was brand new, that I got to talk with him. And this uh, week, he returns to the show to talk about comic books, to have a conversation about uh, books that we're enjoying, books that we've enjoyed in the past, the history of comics, uh, particularly his history with interning with Image Comics. I was very excited and uh, interested to hear about his experience working with that company. And uh, we we talked briefly about old radio dramas, which is a, a topic that I admittedly I don't know much about, but I'm very fascinated to learn more. So I think if Peter's interested in the future sometime, I definitely would love to have him back on to talk about the history of radio dramas because, you know, it's kind of interesting and fun to think that in the years before television, that's how people got their entertainment. And I mean, there are so many type of dramas that you could uh, listen to on the radio back in the days, like in the early part of the 20th century. So uh, to learn more about that would actually be a really fascinating topic of discussion, I think, for the Casting for Fun podcast. So plan for that uh, sometime in the future. Uh, I'll do an episode with that. Hopefully, Peter will be able to join me for that as well. In the meantime, enjoy episode 40 of the show where Peter and I have a conversation about comic books. Returning to the Casting for Fun podcast is my very good friend, Peter Hauge. Peter, how are you today? I'm really, really great. How are you? Uh, doing great, too, man. It, it's good to see you. It's good to have you back on the show and to talk about a topic that I know we used to talk about all the time back in high school, which is comic books. One of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how have you been the last time we've talked? Uh, I've been really good. Um, gosh, when was, when was that? Uh, that last... would have been back in February of this year. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So when I just started the podcast, you were episode five or episode six, I think. Holy smokes. And now, what this you... is going to be episode uh, 39 or 40. <laughs> no way. Yeah, I've been keeping it going, man. I love it. This is that... really fun for me. <laughs> I've been seeing you. Uh, I, I know you've been keeping it going, but wow, I, I didn't realize it had been that many. That's that's so cool. Yeah. Very, yeah. very awesome. Uh, I'm uh, happy to. Uh, oh, sorry to interrupt you, Peter. I'm, I'm oh, happy no, no, no. to report that uh, I did, in fact, uh, subscribe for my own uh, library card with my local library here in Upland. So I've been uh, u- utilizing them, you know, going there for studying. I just started grad school. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely spending a lot of time studying. Very, very cool. Very cool. What, the, what, did, you, what did you start grad school for again? Uh, for my MBM. So my master's in business management with uh, Azusa Pacific. So local here. But, uh, but I'm doing it mostly online. Incredible, man. Um, yeah, we get, uh, we get business students in all the time in the library. Uh, test prep books. Um, a lot of um, just accessing a lot of the business databases so no that's very cool good for you man i'm happy to hear that oh thank you uh, you. our conversation definitely sparked my interest i mean libraries i mean we'll repeat it again quickly i mean uh take advantage of them they're they're fountains of information so absolutely yeah free books free videos free movies free free comic books yeah (laughs) awesome awesome so so we're gonna be talking comic books today uh and actually it's been pretty cool so peter turned me on to a really cool youtube channel called beyond time so i'm assuming it's run by some of your friends yeah Uh, they they do a show called the giant size spectacular show which has been really cool and interesting and fun for me to watch Uh, i think the only episode i missed was the one that you weren't on Oh, okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if I if I can see, oh, oh, Peter's on this episode. I for sure got to watch it. So it, it's fun just having listening to you talk to your friends about comics, and that's definitely something I want to do with you for this episode. I, I'm I am all for it. Yeah, no, um, that uh, that's been a lot of fun. Uh, Giant size spectacular. It's been uh, uh, it's been run um, mostly by uh, by John Hervey, uh, and then uh, my good friend David Green, uh, John Wales, uh, and myself have been uh, been getting on just four of us talking about comic books. Um, we've all kind of have some loose associations with the business. I used to work for Image Comics for a really short time in the like early two thousands. Um, David Green is a amazing storyboard artist. Uh, um, 
and just yeah all the guys we, we've done uh, some work here and there in the comics but never really quite broke in but we still just love to to get together and uh sit and talk about comics in a very sort of gen x kind of focused way so we try not to get too grumpy and you know be the old guys we're like ah all the new stuff sucks these days but that, that happens sometimes i suppose yeah, it definitely does. Yeah. In fact, you even talked about it on your last episode that I guess, yeah, technically we, we fall into just the very tail end of Generation X right before Millennial started. And yeah. I've heard people kind of coin the phrase Xennial, which I guess is kind of like the 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 end of Gen X, but the beginning of Millennial. So kind of having like the best of both worlds, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, we, we did talk about that. The generational um, uh, sort of sociology is always really interesting to me. And I... I was born in 1981. Are you, are you the same? Are you, are you a little um, older? I'm just a year older in 80. 80, 80. Okay, 1980. So so you might be a little bit more uh, easily distinguished as you know, Gen <laughs> X for that cutoff. But, but yeah, I've read in uh, different places uh, that like 19, like anywhere between like 1979 to like 1981 is this weird sort of pocket generation. And yeah, I've heard Xennial and I've heard uh, the phrase I really like, uh, someone I heard coin was the uh, the Oregon Trail generation. Oh yeah, uh, just describing like because uh, I guess Oregon Trail just being that that computer program that everyone used sort of in elementary school that was like the height of technology in our adolescence, and then it wasn't until maybe high school that really computers took off and like the internet was a was a big thing. I mean, I think I was maybe a freshman when I was on America Online. Um, so well, even just America Online is really dated too now. So <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just having that, like, I guess as I've heard it described as having an analog childhood with like a digital sort of uh, adolescence. So yeah, yeah I, I, I like, I, I think we're, we're in a cool, uh, cool generation. So whether, whether I'm Gen X, whether I'm millennial, Xennial, whatever, um, I, I like it a lot. So. Oh, me too. Me too. And then the one last thing I would say about that is uh, I personally dislike the idea of like generalizing and saying, okay, well, if you're from this generation, like, you know, if, if you're a millennial, you're, you're eating Tide Pods and like, you know, Start staring at your phone all day. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I there's bad things about every generation and there's great things too. So I think let's just celebrate the great and, you know, be your own individual person as opposed to being like categorized into like one uh, area era that you were born in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, very, very well said. I don't know if I, <laughs> I don't know if I can expand on that any better. Yeah, okay. Very cool. So let's jump into some comic talk. And I mean, I, I for sure want to hear a little bit more about your time with image. Cause I know you had mentioned that before. In fact, okay. uh, talking about image comics and their founding is actually uh, a particular topic that I wanted to discuss as well. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to, to uh, listen to my Spider-Man uh, podcast from a few weeks ago. No, no, I saw, I, I saw you had done, uh, okay. done a Spider-Man talk, but no, I, I, I didn't catch it. Oh, no problem. No problem. So I wanted to touch just briefly on uh, an aspect of Spider-Man history and lore, which I think you you may know. I mean, again, uh, it's a pretty famous one, which kind of mm-hmm. ties into the topic of uh, creator content and creators wanting to maintain control over their creations. And yeah. uh, I think it's a really fascinating aspect of, about comics. Uh, right, that right. story being the, the death of Gwen Stacy. So oh, I don't okay. know if you're, if you're really familiar with that storyline and how it came about. Uh, I mean, I'm familiar with the with the story and um, the um, everything that went down, but no, not 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 too much the uh, the backstory behind it. But oh, okay, uh, let, me, let me give you just a little bit of brief background on it. I mean, because I don't want to go too much into it when we're talking about our our, our joint stuff. But basically, right. so so Stanley had uh, stepped down as the writer of Amazing Spider-Man and actually had stepped down as the editor in chief of Marvel Comics at around the same time, like in the early '70s. So okay. uh, Jerry Conway took over. Uh, as writer when he was only 19 years old, which is incredible to think. Wow. And then uh, uh, a gentleman by the name of Roy Thomas took over as uh, editor in chief oh. and as a way to try and like, you know, boost sales and re- rejuvenate interest in the comic, they decided to kill off a major character. And yeah. after much debate, they decided that Gwen was going to be the best choice. And I guess they had approached Stan about it. And I guess Stan was loosely okay with it. But he doesn't recall or remember, or at least according to interviews I've, I've seen and, and read about the whole situation. And it's kind of interesting now that he's passed on. I mean, uh, it's kind of lost in the annals of history. So we don't really know for certain now if Stan oh. said yes or no. But my understanding was if he wasn't ed- editor in chief anymore, even if he had said, no, I don't want you to kill Gwen. I, my understanding is they could have done it anyways. Yeah. So from from what I understand and I. um my friend David is really a great one to ask uh, as far as like the history of all the, the different editors go. But from what I definitely understand, 
um, back in those uh, um, those earlier days, uh, in especially the 70s and 80s, um, the editors uh, of Marvel were very, very focused on continuity. And, mm-hmm. you know, they they would make sure that uh, a lot of the storylines were were consistent throughout all the books. That's why in a lot of those uh, those comics, you would always see little references in the panel. You know, someone would make mention of something that had happened and you'd see a little footnote that says, see Amazing Spider-Man number yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, so I know that that was definitely a, a big deal. So, um, I mean, I don't know how the, how the power structure and everything works, but, uh, or, or works back then, but yeah, I can definitely see, um, I mean, if those editors were on some big storyline that was, you know, spanning across multiple titles, um, yeah, I don't know if the, the CEO at that point really has too much, uh, too much input on, uh, um, on, on what, what could be said. I, I wouldn't know how it works, but that, that's interesting if there, if there was some sort of little internal kind of struggle uh, happening that uh, that caused Gwen Stacy to get iced. So. Yeah, yeah. And then it's kind of funny too. So they, they mentioned, or Jerry Conway's mentioned in interviews that I've seen or, or listened to on podcasts he's done, is that Stan took a lot of heat because a lot of uh, fans were, were just uh, assuming that, okay, you're the one who did it. So when Stan would go on speaking mm-hmm. to us, colleges fans are pretty upset and up in arms about it so i guess that's why they introduced the clone saga to bring in like i guess a, a clone version of peter a clone version of gwen which was sure. kind of like i guess kind of like hit or miss with fans i know uh i mean i i, I kind of enjoyed it but i know it was kind of a uh, a mixed reaction to that particular storyline yeah that was uh that was the scarlet spider uh storyline wasn't it uh, yeah that was revisited in the 90s so like you know almost like two decades after they killed Gwen. right right wow um uh gosh um yeah it's it's funny how they're always trying to like shake things up like that and then end up you know always sort of making things uh (laughs) making things worse for themselves um spider-man wasn't really my uh my big uh my big comic when i was younger when i got back into comics uh when i was like 15 16 years old Mm -hmm. uh i became much more of a a dc guy Uh, i think there was i I remember that about you yeah I think there was something to the uh, to the Marvel stuff that was like a little bit, and maybe it was just the the time that I'd gotten into it. Maybe it was a little bit too frenetic um, uh, and just too too wild and crazy. Uh, like I would try watching you know the X Men cartoons, and then I would go and pick up an X Men book, and you know I couldn't follow a single thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember that also being the case with the uh, with Spider Man, um, picking it up and seeing that there was you know the Scarlet Spider, seeing that. Um, you know, I always thought Mary Jane was his uh, was his main squeeze, and then uh, yeah, reading all about the the Gwen Stacy stuff was was definitely harder harder for me to to get into um, uh, back in the day, um, which is weird considering my first comics were Marvel comics. But um, yeah, it wasn't uh, when I was about fourteen or fifteen I, I, I started picking up DC a bit more. Um, but it's funny you mentioned uh, them messing with Spider-Man because what got me in, uh, hooked on comics was them messing with Superman and like all the uh, the same kind of marketing things that they would pull, like the death of Superman. That's still for me like the big defining moment in comics that really sort oh, of draw drew me in. So. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So so that leads us into uh, Image Comics, which I mean the yes. foundation, the formation of Image Comics took place around that same time, so the early nineties. So That's it's right. kind of interesting for me to think that, you know, whether it's, you know, the Golden Age, Silver Age, Bronze Age, uh, at any time in the history of comics, you've probably had those issues in uh, uh, things that need to be resolved with creators wanting to maintain creation of uh, control over their creations, but not necessarily be able, being able to do so, which led sure. to you know, image. So if you can uh, fill in the listeners, if you know the history pretty well of like the, uh, how image was founded. And then uh, tie into how you uh, got into your internship with Image. Yeah, so um, I mean, you, you basically got it just right. Uh, there was a uh, there was a group of really big creators uh, at the at the time. Um, oh my gosh, uh, who 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 was the uh, the original? So Jim Valentino, um, uh, Jim. Well, Lee, in my in my notes, I have some of the names here. So Jim Lee, Carlane, Mark, Carlane. Uh, Mark Silvestri. Mark Silvestri. There's the, uh, there's the four. Yeah, uh, Jim Lee. Jim Lee was one of the big ones too. Yeah, cool. Uh, so yeah, that, that was the four of uh, Jim Valentino, Silvestri, uh, um, Valentino, and uh, uh, so when uh, I was uh, maybe seventeen or eighteen and uh, looking to start working, um, I, uh, I I knew I wanted to be in the comic book business and I wanted to write more than anything. 
Aquaman was was my goal. That's what I had had set my sights on. That I, that's what I wanted to write. But DC Comics was all the way in New York. Um, not that I needed to live in New York in order to be a writer, but uh, I also really just wanted to work in the in the business. Mm-hmm. I learned Image Comics at the time. Um, again, the early two thousands, they were uh, working out of Orange in uh, in California. And so while they were in the Orange office, um, this is when Jim Valentino was uh, at the time head of Image. Image by this time in the 2000s, they uh, had started to break off and start doing their own thing. They uh, split off into Top Cow, uh, which did like all the uh, the Spawn stuff. That was uh, Todd McFarlane. So I'm sorry, getting a little ahead of myself, uh, backing up. Um, just like you say, uh, Image was started by those uh, those four guys. They were some of the big heavy hitter creators at the time. And yeah, basically, they were getting tired of um, creating characters uh, that Marvel and then DC would just outright own. Um, they they'd be creating they'd be creating some insanely popular characters that they just wouldn't end up making very much money off of, uh, other than the the story that they wrote. I want to say X Force was uh, was really big at the time, and characters like Cable. Uh, I, won't, uh, I I feel like was uh was one of their creations um anyway so they uh, they decided to start image comics which the idea behind it was that they were going to be the publisher of a comic but that uh, creators would own absolutely everything so it would have the image label on it but if you were to put out a book of you know a really great uh, ultraman uh, you would be the the one who would own all of that. Image wouldn't get uh, any any of it if you were to go on and have a movie made. Um, they would only get their uh, their really small cut. Uh, and I can get more into the, how the, that business model worked a, a little bit a little bit later. But when I got into Image, like I said, it was early two thousands. They were uh, they had their orange office, and um, I wanted to be in the business. And so I had written some stuff here and there, just like uh, like fan stuff. Nothing that uh, they've gotten published, but um, was definitely trying hard to get in that business. And when I learned that they were in Orange, which was more or less driving distance for me, uh, I started calling them on a daily basis and just saying, hi, my name is Peter Haugi. I'm wondering if you guys offer any kind of an internship program. And I got absolutely nowhere. No, sorry, that's not how it works around here. We just get hung up on. And uh, I'd call back maybe a couple days later, just try asking a little bit more questions. And finally, I got the name of a guy, Anthony Bozzi. He was the, uh, the director of marketing uh, of Image at the time. And so they said, you know, Anthony is the guy you'd probably want to talk to about that, but he's really busy. So try back later. And so I called back on just a regular basis, leaving voicemails for this guy, always leaving messages, trying to get this guy to call me back so I can get some kind of intern- internship, just get someone on the phone who worked in the business. And I must have called him about 20 times and never got anything back from him. And one night I got a, uh, a page, this is how long it was, uh, mm-hmm. someone had paged me. And so I called this number back and it looked vaguely familiar. And I was like, gosh, why do I know this number? Call it back. And uh, it's his voice saying, is this Peter Haugi? Saying, yes, it is. It says, stop calling Image Comics. Stop calling me. Stop calling Anthony Bozzi. Don't call Image again. I have no jobs for you. I have no internships for you. Stop it. And he lets out a deep sigh. He's like, oh, I'm sorry about that. What are you doing tomorrow? You want to have breakfast? And I'm like, I would love to have breakfast with you. He's like, okay, come on. I'll have breakfast with you, kid. And so I have breakfast with this guy where he then goes on to tell me like that the business is incredibly saturated. It is, you can't get a job anywhere uh, with a publisher. It is just a really hard, hard business to get into. But if I come back tomorrow, he'll give me an internship at Image Comics. So after pestering this guy for months, uh, and after him hazing me just a little bit on the phone, he decides to that I can intern there uh, and uh, start sorting through uh, his emails. So that's what I did. Um, I went to Image Comics, started interning there, hung out once a week uh, with this guy, Anthony, and he would show me the ropes. About a month later, he gets fired. Oh. And so I'm thinking, where does this leave me? Like, what happened to my internship? You know, no, nobody else really knew me. Jim Valentino, you know, he was, like I said, he was running the place, but he didn't care who I was or, or know anything about me. Um, so I didn't know what to do. So I just kept showing up every week. I would just show up for my internship. And, you know, finally, they're just like, who are you again? Like, what, what do you do here? And I'm like, oh, I'm the intern. You know, Anthony hired me. And so I eventually started working for this other guy, the director of production. And after like a year of filing his emails and sorting his uh, 
uh, all the production files, uh, they finally gave me a job as their traffic and inventory controller. And so I worked for about a year um, uh, getting on creators, making sure that they were meeting their deadlines, uh, seeing that books got, uh, got to the publisher on time, uh, all that good stuff. Um, so it was a lot of fun. Oh, awesome. You know, all the years that I've known you, I don't think I've ever heard that story before. So that's no. actually fascinating stuff. Yeah. Oh, cool, cool. Very cool. Very good. Cool. That's good to hear. And I mean, I'm, I'm glad even if you wasn't there for very long, that you just got that experience and that uh, I guess it kind of shows, I mean, if, if you really want something, I mean, maybe be persistent, you know, don't let someone tell you just flat out no. Absolutely. No, there, there was definitely a lesson to be learned about uh, persistence there. Um, it was actually, it was pretty sad I, I, um, because after interning there for a year and then after working there for a year, um, things with the, the guy that I ended up started working under got really sort of nasty. And uh, he just, I mean, even though I'm, I'm working in like a, a dream place, you know, doing what I always wanted to be doing, at the end of the day, everyone's still got a boss. And sometimes bosses just uh, can be kind of crummy to work for. We had a really, really toxic uh, working relationship. And so I quit. Uh, after working there for about a year and maybe three months later, uh, I get another call from, uh, the guy that they replaced Anthony with, uh, Eric Stevenson, who's now the current publisher of, uh, image. And he said, Hey, Peter, uh, we got rid of that guy you were working under. We want you to take his job as director of production. And I'm like, that sounds great. Sign me up. He says, but we're moving to Oakland. So <laughs> at the time I couldn't do it. I was just starting my family. Um, uh -huh. You know, I think was uh, we, were, we were talking about having kids, and just I wasn't able to to move to Oakland, so I pretty much had to had to bow out of the uh, the comic business comic business uh, altogether, uh, which was really a shame. Um, but uh, you know, it, uh, it is what it is, and so I'm happy where I ended up as a librarian. So it was still a really really cool experience. Uh, met a lot of really neat creators. Um, just. Learned more about the business, I think, than uh, um, I ever would have uh, as a reader. So I'm I'm still always grateful for that that experience. It was very cool. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, that sounds really really cool and awesome. And then speaking of the creators, so it's actually kind of interesting. So another aspect of uh, Image Comics was that uh, in that time frame, the the creators and the artist writers, the the uh, illustrators, the artists were becoming in some cases just as big, if not bigger than their creations. And it got to the point where sometimes you would pick up a book just because so-and-so was writing it or so-and-so was uh, illustrating it, which that sure. was a really fascinating, cool concept to get into because uh, you can see today, like, you know, random people, random celebrities will, will jump in and actually write or, or illustrate comics, when, which could entice fans to want to pick up a copy of uh, so-and-so's work just because they were working on it. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's definitely been going on for, for a while. Um, I feel like one of the people that, uh, that I remember that being a big deal on was, uh, was Kevin Smith, you know, the uh, director of clerks and mall rats and all that. Um, back, uh, uh, gosh, when was it? Um, late nineties, maybe, uh, or maybe early two thousands, he started, uh, writing comics and it was a big deal. It was like, Oh my God, Kevin Smith is going to write comic books. It's gotta be good. And, mm -hmm from what i remember at the time it wasn't that good like I, I wasn't i wasn't super uh super into his stuff but yeah people were definitely picking up uh, uh picking up stuff just because it was written by kevin smith um there was the uh there was that other guy who was uh on what was that reality show about uh, um big reality show that it was on mtv uh they all live together uh the uh the real world real world yeah, the real world. <laughs> yeah, uh, there, and then there was one of the guys that uh, that went on from the real world uh, to become a uh, writer. Um, is that Judd Winnick? Uh, I think so. Was that who it was? I think so. Uh, yeah. So no. Uh, yeah, seeing uh, uh, like different celebrities and, and stuff get into the to the comic business was always uh, always really interesting. Seeing um, who would get attached to stuff. Uh, and I mean, people have been doing that for a really long time just to sell books. You know, uh, you'd get a really great artist to do a cover, but you have someone else doing the uh, the interiors. You know, people would pick up books all the time just because, you know, Gil Kane did a, a really amazing cover of something, but, you know, didn't do any of the uh, interiors. Um, Alex Ross, I feel like uh, he does primarily covers uh, and that sells a lot of books. You get an Alex, Rock, Alex Ross cover uh, and, you know, people are 
people are definitely going to pick that up. I saw that image all the time um, when we were doing a, a Battle of the Planets um, was doing a, a reboot. Um, Alex Ross did a cover for Battle of the Planets. And I think that was one of the more popular uh, variant covers that uh, that we did. Um, gosh, now that I think about it, when I was at Image, that was when all the reboots were happening. That's when they were rebooting G.I. Joe. Masters of the Universe was coming back. Voltron was doing a thing. It was like any 80s property that someone could get their hands on and reboot into a comic book they were they were doing at the time. It was crazy. Oh, yeah, man. Very cool. Very crazy. Uh, you know what? It's interesting to me that you would bring up Kevin Smith and Alex Ross because there is a particular book that, that they worked on that immediately sparked my interest. And so, Kevin Smith had actually teamed up with another good buddy of his to actually write it. The comic in question is Batman 66 meets the Green Hornet, which was oh, co-written cool. by Ralph Garman from K-Rock here in L.A., which was really, really cool. So I know Kevin Smith has been a longtime friend of the Kevin and Bean show back when Kevin and Bean was still around. I mean, K-Rock yeah. now, but so I remember they brought him on the show and they announced, hey, uh, Ralph and, and Kevin are going to write Batman 66. And if you're a fan of the, the Kevin and Bean show, you know that uh-huh. Ralph Garman's like the biggest fan of the Adam West Batman. So yep. the whole idea that they were going to be writing that issue or that, that, that series of comics was really enticing to me and, uh, and throw in the, the Green Hornet, which actually existed at the, around the same time, the Green Hornet show. Uh-huh. So the whole concept of Batman 66 meaning the Green Hornet was really, really cool. And the album, I'm sorry, not the album, the, the, the cover of that particular comic was written, or I'm sorry, illustrated by Alex Ross. So that was one that really sparked my interest. Like, oh, I got to pick up that issue as soon as it's available. So I'm wondering for you personally, have there been issues or uh, comics that you wanted to pick up just because of who was writing it and who was illustrating it? Um, yeah, there's definitely been books that I've, I've picked up just for the, for the writers. Um, my, my big writer that I, uh, that I followed for the longest time was Peter David. Um, yeah, he was writing, uh, Aquaman at like the height of when I was just really, uh, really digging Aquaman. Uh, he was writing the incredible Hulk. He had just finished up on X factor. Um, he, uh, he was a big star Trek writer at the time. So, uh, definitely anything Peter David was, uh, was doing, um, at the time, or even now, um, I was all over his Supergirl run was, uh, was incredible. Um, he uh he did the book young justice uh which i think you know they uh is it was on cartoon network or they currently did on cartoon network like young justice has sort of turned into its whole whole other thing and he's a creator right there yeah i always kind of wondered about um like the he would create some of my favorite characters uh you know people that uh, that showed up in the aquaman books um and then i always wondered like how much money he would get for that and probably probably nothing but uh, uh i just think it's just always uh, uh just that very idea of these uh these writers creating characters uh, out of thin air and then from there putting it in one issue of a comic it is then permanently and forever a part of that comics uh history you know and uh legacy uh, and i think that's i think that's just one of the amazing things about uh, comics in in general but that's a whole other uh thing so yeah peter david was one that uh, i would definitely follow as far as uh uh writers go mm-hmm. um i remember when i was uh, a teenager uh like 16 or 17 uh again reading aquaman that peter david was on um the guy who was uh, drawing his name was marty eglin uh and i mean he was i, I look back at his stuff now and it's it's whatever i mean it, he was a great artist um but when they took him off the book i remember being devastated i had never been so upset at like you know, I could I couldn't care less if they were to change, you know, uh, who was playing who on a television show or, you know, the writer, or the director of a show could never care less about something like that. But when they took Martin Eglund off of Aquaman, I freaked out. I not freaked out, but I, I was like really upset about it. Uh, going back to AOL, they used to DC used to run these chat rooms that the editors would uh, would do every every week or so. An edit different editor would jump in and run like a little Q&A and Kevin Dooley was the the writer or the editor of Aquaman at the time and sure enough he did one of his sessions and I got in there and I was I remember being in that chat room saying why did you get rid of Martin Eglin what's the deal like that was amazing and it was the coolest thing having the editor write back to me and just say like hey you know the guy was great artist but he's just too slow and uh that was like one of my first times like having a 
like a real discussion with an editor or, or someone in the business and hearing like, yeah, talent, you know, really means a lot. But if these people aren't able to meet deadlines, like, you know, you, this isn't the, this isn't the business for you. Um, so Martin Eglund was, was a guy that I was really big into. Uh, Matt Kint uh, is a, a, a guy right now that uh, anything he, he puts out, I'm all over. Mind management um, is incredible. I pretty sure that's in production right now. Uh, and Keanu Reeves is, uh, is attached to it. Oh, um, cool. I know Matt Kint and Keanu Reeves are working on something. I want to say it's uh, mind management, but now that I'm looking at my shelf, I, I think it might be another, uh, another project. Um, but yeah, Matt Kint, uh, I'll definitely, uh, pick up, um, uh, a lot of his stuff. Um, so yeah, those are probably my, uh, my big ones that uh that i'm into um i'll be honest i mean i'm trying to to get back into what's what's out there right now um i spend a lot of time on the marvel uh unlimited app and on the dc app uh trying to read the new stuff um i can't go into a comic book store and buy books anymore to to read because they're too expensive mm -hmm. you can't spend five dollars on uh on a spider-man comic and get like 14 pages you know of a, of a story uh you know it's, it's, it's just not sustainable. So I use the, uh, the apps to try to stay current with the, with what's good um, and trying to find who the, the new writers and artists are. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's been, it's been a fun journey so far. No, absolutely. Okay. That's actually a really cool suggestion for people who are looking to want to get into comments to do the apps, because as you mentioned, it can be a really expensive hobby. Uh, I, one thing that I like to do was actually I would wait until a whole series was done and then actually buy the trade paperback for it. So like, if you wanted just that, that would actually be pretty cool to have. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's also another thing. Uh, trades are, are a big thing. I feel like that's a, that's a trend that I kind of missed out on. Like back in the day, that was always like a rarity, right? You know, if something was a trade or if something was collected uh, as a trade, that was, I don't know, that, that seemed a little bit more special. And now it's just sort of expected. Like it's expected yeah. that put out 10 issues of this comic and then collect it into a trade and you know you might get some kind of break on the price yeah. um but yeah i definitely have felt like a, a shill for like both the marvel and dc apps um i think marvel it's 10 bucks a month and you have access to like all of their stuff and it's it, it's it's amazing uh, i love going back and reading the old stuff more than anything uh, and to have it all there like in really spectacular colors and you know nothing's faded nothing you know is is crumbly or yellowed on the on the paper um it's i think the best best value in comics right now uh which is a sad thing i mean i love i love buying books i love paper i love you know collecting and things like that but it's just way too expensive right now so yeah the app is the apps are definitely my uh my, my number one suggestion to someone wanting to get into comics Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, shifting gears just a little bit. So uh, this past summer, I did an episode of the podcast talking to one of my buddies about uh, summer blockbuster movies. Mm. And it's kind of interesting that a lot of uh, uh, properties you see, like whether it's a show or a movie, is actually based on existing comics that people may not actually be aware of, which is pretty cool. So like we went to like old school, like discussion of like, say, The Rocketeer. Which sure. came out in 1991 was actually based off of a comic book series, as yep. was uh, Men in Black. Uh, so, yep. so those, those are two that right now come off the top of my head being really, really cool movies. And oh, by the way, they happen to be based off of comic books. And yeah. maybe there's been a few duds along the way. Like uh, I, I remember seeing the, the movie adaptation of Cowboys and Aliens and not thinking that one was that great. But I guess it just depends on your personal preference. So I'm wondering if you have particular favorite, uh, more obscure comics that you like that actually people may not even be aware uh, I'm, I'm sorry, that, there were movies that were actually from obscure comics. Well, it's funny that you mentioned actually both Men in Black and Cowboys and, uh, and Aliens because those were both properties that were um, uh, owned at one point by, uh, by Platinum Studios uh, or this guy named Scott Rosenberg, mm -hmm. who I did work for very, very briefly when, oh, I, cool. when, when I left Image. I mm -hmm. did get another job uh, at this place, Platinum Studios, that did own those properties. And that was pretty much their their whole thing they were they would buy up and gobble up as many properties as they can and then try to get them uh turned into turned into movies um so yeah men in black and cowboys and aliens uh was uh was one of theirs um teenage mutant ninja turtles uh was another one who at the time uh you know as a kid in the 90s you know all i all i knew was the the cartoon and the action figures mm -hmm. and when i started getting into comics you know i had no idea that 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was like this super gritty black and white, like really cool, uh, cool book. So and really violent too. <laughs> yeah, very very violent. Um, for sure. Uh, let's see other, other ones that were, uh, um, uh, ghost world was of course, uh, a movie that, uh, that was, it was a comic, uh, that was, that was uh, Scarlett Johansson, right? That's right. Scarlett Johansson and, uh, Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. Okay. And, uh, um, from American beauty. Um, oh, oh it's... uh, Mina Sor- Sorvino, Sorvia? No, uh-huh. Um, okay. <laughs> I'd have to yeah. do it. <laughs> uh, it's, it, I feel like a jerk not knowing, but um, Thor, Thor, Thor Birch? Thor, oh, oh I, think, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. Right? But, I think so. Oh, okay. I hope so. Uh, if I'm wrong, <laughs> get that part out. So. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. So, what other. Uh, um, gosh, I'm sure there was. Uh, uh, I, I, I know there were. Um, uh, the um, the boys was one uh, that uh, that I'm currently watching right now. That uh, um, it's a it's a show that I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel terrible that I I didn't even know it in the first after watching the first season. I had no idea that it was a comic book before anything else. And I know your listeners are probably gonna think I'm I'm terrible for that. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, that's that's one that I've really been uh, been been digging quite a bit and been meaning to go back and uh, and read the comic on. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see that there's so many great properties that can draw inspiration from the comics. And, you know, I mean, if you get into the hobby, you can actually discover all these properties before they actually become famous, which is kind of cool. right. And, and I feel like that's what a lot of people were, were definitely banking on for a while. And I'm sure they, they're, they're still doing, you know, they're, they're hoping that their comic is going to get picked up um and turned into a movie uh i saw that a lot at image it was actually kind of sad um so if, if you don't mind backing up just uh oh sure uh, of course uh, yeah yeah so when i worked at image i worked with a lot of these independent creators and the way it worked is like we said you owned absolutely everything being an independent creator but that also meant that you had to front everything so if you were paying an artist if you were paying anyone for any of the work you weren't seeing any profits until your book actually made a profit so uh, a lot of people um, would accuse Image of having just like a lot of number ones, a lot of number twos, and not a whole lot of number threes in series. Like books would get canceled, and Image would get a bad rap for being the ones canceling these books. The thing of it was, lawnmower or something going on outside. Uh, the thing of it was is that it wasn't Image that was canceling these books. What you would have is you would have someone come up with a really great comic. And they would write and create one issue and then they would sell it to, or they would give, show it to image and then image would say, Hey, this looks like a great comic. We'll go ahead and put this out for you. And we'll just take a small little cut uh, from the sales. So the book would then get advertised and comic book uh, stores would, would see it in this big magazine called the uh, previews. Uh, they would get, see what's coming out from all the distributors or coming out from the, the publishers. And they would say, Oh, Hey, here's Albert's book. And, uh, this creator's putting out a number one. This looks kind of interesting. Maybe they'd read a write-up about it. And they would order, let's say, 10 copies of the book. Well, next month, they got to put out their orders again. And they see, oh, Albert's book is out again. And it's at number two. Well, I haven't even seen number one yet. Because it takes maybe about three months after they would order a book for them to actually see it. So by the time they're ordering book number two, they still haven't even seen book number one. So if it comes to ordering Albert's book number two, they're, they're not going to order as many. So they're going to say, well, maybe we'll just buy five copies of it this time. So now you have these creators getting their, uh, their numbers. They maybe sold a lot for number one. Number two, they didn't sell so much. Now number three comes around. The comics bookstore is looking at their orders again. They're saying, oh, here's Albert's book again. Number three is coming out. Man, I still haven't even seen number one yet. Maybe I'll order two copies of it. So by that time it comes around, the creators are then completely like deflated. You know, they're, they don't have a fourth book in them. They're going to say, why am I going to come out with a fourth, fifth, sixth book when my numbers for number three were so incredibly low. So you then have a lot of people canceling all these books. So you would have this big trend of people creating a book, putting something together and really hoping that it would get sold into a movie very, very quickly before it would, uh, would get canceled. And I think you ended up with uh, 
uh, a lot of questionable material. It, it's, it's changed the way people have done comics completely. Uh, it's even changing the way I think Marvel and DC does their comics. Um, it's hard to, to read anything that they put out now uh, that doesn't feel heavily affected by the, the movies that have just currently come out or doesn't feel like something that they're just lining up to be into the next movie, you know, or just sort of, uh, um, I don't know, writing for uh, writing a character to be um, just read uh, in the style of a, a particular actor or something. You see that a lot with uh, what they're doing with Iron Man. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. no, interesting point. Very good. Very good. Uh, one last question that I kind of had then for, yeah. Uh, the podcast here. So we we I remember when I listened to your your friend's uh, YouTube channel and you were discussing like more obscure characters that you really like enjoy. I remember you talked about the the swordsman when he made his appearance on the Hawkeye show for uh, I guess first appearing in that uh, Avengers annual you had discussed or recommended. So uh, yeah. again, I wasn't really familiar with the swordsman character, but I mean he was really cool in the, in the Hawkeye show. I was actually impressed and hopefully that they'll they'll have further use for him i guess yeah. uh his his origin or backstory was changed slightly because i guess in the comics he had uh ties to clinton barton but now we see in the mcu version he has more ties with uh kate bishop being like her, right. her stepdad so my guess is since uh since they have someone uh the, the caliber Haley atwell playing the kate bishop character uh she'll probably probably be back for additional projects and i'm gonna assume that means he would be back as well so I guess the question that I kind of had for you is, uh, are there any more obscure characters that you really enjoyed and you'd love to see whether it's in a, a Disney Plus show or, or an HBO Max show or even get their own movie? Gosh, um, I mean, Swordsman is is really a, a, a big one for me, um, just because uh, he he was such a uh, any 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 superhero um that uh, doesn't have any superpowers is always infinitely more interesting to me. And uh, Swordsman, uh, in the stuff that he did in the Avengers, uh, he was always, he was definitely like a, a second, if not third tier uh, character in, in the Avengers. And his story was that he was, uh, he was a bad guy and he was a villain, but he was really just sort of faking it. Uh, he, he did like sort of the, the double agent thing several times until he finally you know, joined uh, in the uh, in the Avengers, and yeah, I think the the annual that you're talking about that was actually the Death of Swordsman. That was uh, uh, the Avengers annual number two. Oh, okay, it's um, not his first appearance. Okay, no, it's it's it's, uh, it's when he's killed. He later comes back as like this other, this other <laughs> but his death was a, a really big big deal, and uh, um, he is such a minor character. But um, the, when I did see him in Hawkeye, I, I just have my fingers crossed that that we'll see him. Uh, in some bigger stuff because uh, in the comics he ends up with Mantis. Uh, and if we were to see a character like, like we saw in the Hawkeye TV show end up in something like the guardians of the galaxy, you know, palling around with the, uh, with Mantis and all those other characters. I just think that would be incredibly wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to answer your question, uh, obscure characters that, uh, that we haven't really seen yet that, uh, that I want to see, see some more of, um, I know we're going to be seeing Submariner in uh, in some of the new projects. Uh, we did get a, a sneak peek of uh, Reed Richards um, in uh, in Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that those are uh, those are those are minor characters at all. Um, it is interesting but, uh, that we've gone this long and hadn't seen them yet. So it, it's it, <laughs> it really really is. Um, yeah, so uh, in Aquaman, uh, there was always some really, uh, really obscure side characters that I always liked. Aquaman, uh, he has two sons. Um, there's the the son that he had, Aqu- Arthur Jr., uh, that was killed by Black Manta, which was uh, you know a whole big, mm-hmm. uh, big storyline in and of itself. Uh, but again, going back to my guy Peter David, he had written in that Aquaman has another son uh, whose name is Koryak. And uh, Koryak was always just such an interesting character to me. Um, and as soon as Peter David left the book, uh, all the other writers, they either disregarded him completely or just completely uh, wrote him out of the series. Um, but he's an obscure character that I would really, really like to see come back. Uh, and they are doing so many interesting things with Aquaman and Jason Momoa and the DCU. Mm-hmm. Um, he's someone that, uh, that I'd like to see. So if we saw another Aquaman movie, um, I would love to see some of the the lore behind uh, uh, some of those more obscure characters, people like the Sea Devils, 
mm-hmm. uh, his Aquaman's father um, would would be uh, would be really cool. Um, gosh, other uh, other obscure characters. Um, uh, Martian Manhunter. Um, he's one who I don't know. I mean, if you're a big comic comic fan i don't think anyone would necessarily call him obscure but he never never was really a, a mainstream kind of guy uh and i absolutely loved seeing him and uh, did you see the the snyder recut of the Justice i did League? yeah yeah i did oh. enjoy it uh, i had to watch it in installments because four hours is a long time but i did watch yeah. it in installments and really enjoyed it so <laughs> I, I i loved it too uh or i or i really loved it uh, mm-hmm. i i they did a, a really cool job with it um mm-hmm. and redeemed a lot of the things that uh, i did not like about the the first cut of the movie yeah. i mean it yeah. wasn't perfect and i think the dc uh dc universe is still really kind of having a hard time picking up uh um picking up where they uh to to where marvel's at uh-huh. um but uh yeah so more more Aquaman stuff i think would be cool but there's a, they have a lot of really uh neat and obscure characters i uh, i'd like to see uh, some more of um even in the Superman's bench, uh, there's people I'd like to see. Blue Beetle, he's an, uh, a character I'd really like uh, to see. And I feel like I actually did. I believe they're developing a project for him. Uh, they the, are, aren't they? Yeah. Have you seen the, you've seen the, the Cobra Kai show on Netflix, right? No, I haven't. Oh, yeah. Oh, you should be watching it. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> what is it called? Cobra Kai, Cobra Kai. Oh, the, oh, the Cobra Kai. Oh, I'm sorry. I, thought, I, I, I completely misheard you. I heard, oh. I heard something else. Uh, Cobra Kai. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the Miguel character, I believe he's gonna be playing the Blue Beetle. No, he's not. Oh yeah, yeah. I believe. Incredible. Uh, well, you know what? I mean, I know there could be some like uh, uh, restructuring or like you know things going on with the the merger between Warner Brothers and Discovery, which uh-huh. led to like the cancellation of the Batgirl movie. So. I mean, I'm hoping this project still makes makes it to, to light because it's going to be a really cool project if they do. But I understand certain things beyond our control can happen. So. I mean, between Batgirl getting canceled, the, did they cancel The Flash yet? I don't know if they canceled yet, but that Ezra Miller guy is causing lots of problems for him. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, um, who knows? Maybe they'll scrap everything completely and we'll get to, to see some new stuff. Um, but... Uh, um, yeah, the Adam, he's a, a DC character. Uh, I'd really like to um, see some more of. Um, although I feel like they actually are, they don't. Um, he might be even showing up on one of their uh, one of their shows um, that they've been doing. Uh, yeah, anyway, so okay, lots, lots of little characters that uh, that I'd like to see some more of. Um, but uh, it's really the big characters that I'm that I'm more excited to see them get right. I want to see a good Green Lantern movie. Oh yeah. You know? hope that uh that marvel can keep up their steam i wasn't pleased with uh with eternals um you know so it does make me a little nervous about things like fantastic four and you know all that good stuff but mm-hmm. i don't know we'll see yeah we'll, we'll see. see i mean there's definitely a lot of rich history for both studios to draw from if uh, they, they take oh. the time to actually uh to do that so uh yeah the future's bright i think there's lots going to be lots of really cool stuff down the pipeline uh, things to cool and uh check out hopefully in the next uh couple of years yeah um other obscure stuff i i also really want to see um dc get robin right you know they, there's always so much focus on batman and you know they they'll redo batman and they'll reboot him and they'll reboot him and you know batman and the joker and all this other stuff um but i think robin is is really a character that i would like to see a lot more be done with uh mm-hmm. and has definitely been one of the most underutilized um, DC characters, considering how much they've done with uh, with Batman, mm-hmm. I maybe I'm alone on that. But uh, but Robin uh, to me is a much more interesting character than Batman has has ever been. Um, so that's that's something I really hope we uh, we see a bit more of. Sorry, back, backing up and answering your your other question. No, that uh, sounds perfect. I totally agree. It'd be actually be really cool to see a, a live action Robin movie. Just just Robin. I mean, not have to worry or rest on the the merits of Batman, but let him do his thing. So I'd be all for it. All for it. Yeah. Well, that was pretty much all the questions I had today. I mean, we had just a few minutes left. Was there anything else you wanted to bring up or discuss in relations to, to comics? No, man. Um, like I, I'm always looking for, for recommendations of, uh, of new stuff. Um, like I said, I'm trying not to be that, uh, you know, whatever, whatever generation I am, whether Gen X or, or millennial, um, trying not to be that, uh, that grump, you know, who, you know, 
music doesn't sound like it used to, you know, comics don't sound like they used to. So um, I am just trying to read some, some new stuff. So I'll just say, if you come across anything new uh, that, that you're into that you want to pass along to me, definitely let me know. And I, I will, I will read it because I've been, I've been trying to get in some, uh, some new stuff, but there is just so much out there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it can be really hard to um, absorb a lot of the, uh, the content and, uh, it's really the independent comic books that uh, um, uh, I think really need to to be getting a lot more attention and a lot more love out there. Um, so if you stumble across anything independent that uh, um, you want to pass along to me, let me know because um, that's that's where I think uh, um, that that that's where I want to be reading more of. So that's where I'm at. Oh, okay, yeah, I'll definitely keep an eye out myself. In fact, I'm trying to also discover new uh, independent stuff. But uh, as far as mainstream stuff goes, yeah, definitely. Uh, if you get the chance, check out uh, Batman 66, particularly the issues that were written by Kevin Smith and Ralph Garman. So, I was picking yeah. I, I was picking up some of the uh, the Batman 66 stuff that they uh, that they were doing um, uh, just a couple of years ago. Um, it, I don't know. As, as much as I, I'm not a huge Batman fan, that era, that Batman 66 and the Adam West Batman, that is my absolute favorite. That's mm-hmm. that's uh, some of the best Batman stuff to me, uh, with the exception of the animated series. Yeah, um, yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Green Hornet, I absolutely love. Um, I could talk forever about old time radio dramas. We could do a, a whole whole episode based on that. Um, but the Green Hornet uh, radio show was always really really good. Um, and anytime he shows up in the comics, I. I think it's great. So I'll, I'll definitely pick up that book. That sounds really cool. Oh, awesome. And actually, uh, one last point then, because I mean, you just brought it up now. So I wanted, before we, we ran out of time, yeah. I just said, uh, I mean, I, the animated Batman show was fantastic. I loved it. Uh-huh. It was really great. And then one of my favorite episodes was when they introduced uh, the character, the gray ghost, which was actually a, <laughs> a radio show that Bruce Brain listened to as a child. Yes. And growing up, Batman, he gets to team up with his idol, the Grey Ghost, which was really, uh-huh. really cool. So I actually like that idea. I think it'd be cool to learn more about the, the old uh, radio programs because, you know, when we were teenagers, we, we got our, our fix through the comics, you know, movies in the 90s. But back then, for kids who grow up, that's how they got their entertainment, through the radio. So to kind of hear more about that would be pretty cool, I think. Yeah, no, that Great Ghost episode was really was really a lot of fun. Um, yeah, no, old time radio dramas uh, from like the 30s and 40s. Uh, there is so much amazing stuff out there. Whether it's uh, uh, science fiction, crime, mystery, uh, it was they were they were doing incredible stuff on radio, uh, which then quickly was eclipsed by uh, by television. And it's it's so funny to me that in the age of podcasts, uh, you know, and how popular those are, and how popular audio are. Um, we have yet to see like radio dramas really pick up steam. I mean, I know some people are doing it. Some people have some things that are, that are, that are similar to it, but, uh, um, yeah, it has, I, I don't know it has yet to really hit the, hit the mainstream again. So anytime you want to talk about that, um, I'm all for it. I don't know if we're going to revive old time radio drama, just, uh, just to, <laughs> but I got a lot of recommendations. Um, and, uh, there's, there's some really cool stuff out there, um, Okay, awesome. So we'll, we'll definitely get together and do that for another podcast. So I'm uh, really looking forward to, to chatting with you again and glad to see you're doing well. Glad to see everything well with you. Yeah, likewise. You too. This is this was great. Thank you very much for, for having me again. Anytime. Oh, oh, you're welcome. Okay, yeah, we'll touch base and we'll put together another episode, hopefully in the near future. So that should be pretty fun. I'd love that. All right. Thanks again, Peter, for joining me today. And you've been listening to the Casting for Fun podcast. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>